From the Edwin Cardinal O'Brien Pastoral Center in Washington, D.C., home base for the Archdiocese for the Military Services USA. This is Catholic Military Life, the only official podcast of the Archdiocese. I'm your moderator, Taylor Henry. And for this edition, it's my pleasure to have as my guest Monsignor Colonel Michael Butler of the Missouri Air National Guard, U.S. Air Force. Monsignor Butler, thank you for joining me. Good to be with you, Taylor. Thanks for the invitation. And so, Father Butler, you have a very interesting story. You're a priest of the Archdiocese of St. Louis, but you have a long career in the United States Air Force and or the National Guard, Air National Guard, right? This is true, Taylor, yes. <laughs> so uh, tell me, uh, how, did you, uh, how did you become a um, an Air National Guard chaplain slash Air Force chaplain, and I, I say slash because in your, what, 30-plus year career, uh, you served on active duty a number of times, correct? This is true, yes. Taylor, you know the story goes back because I'm very old. It goes back a long time. I served almost 33 years in the military, um, but actually I started way back in the, the mid-'80s, and, and I started actually as a chaplain candidate. Um, when I was in first theology school at Kenrick Seminary in St. Louis, we had chaplains coming out to try to encourage us to become chaplain candidates because I think they realized even then um, in the 1980s that there was going to be a shortage of priests coming up, and they want to encourage young men. And so as they came out, I I'll never forget, um, there was a chaplain from the Navy, the Army, and the Air Force all came out to Kenrick, and they were very good. They can celebrate at Mass. Um, and they had lunch with us. But I have to tell you, in the 1980s, I had no intention at all of serving in the military. In, in fact, it's kind of funny, maybe kind of an attitude from the 1960s, 70s, that military people, they were about breaking things and killing people. And I thought, well, I don't want to do that. <laughs> so anyway, when they came out and spoke, they were very nice. It was very interesting, that, but I had no intention of doing it. But after lunch, uh, I remember going up to, um, to my room before class, and I would do uh, a pray, Lexio Divina. But I remember the day before I had finished Scripture, so I thought um, I did something very dangerous. I played what we sometimes call Bible roulette. Now, I don't know if you ever played that before, but in praying, I just said, well, Lord, what do you want me to do for you? And I remember um, taking Scripture and opening it up, and my eyes fell upon the passage from St. Matthew that read, Christ didn't come for the self-righteous, but for sinners, no more than a doctor comes for those who are well before those who are ill. I remember we just had uh, um, talks by these chaplains and, and my own attitude about the military, and I thought, wow, Lord, is this what you're asking me to do? So I thought they were only asking us to do this for 120 days, and I thought, you know what, I, I can do that. So I thought, all right, Lord, I'll do it. I'm not usually that spontaneous, but I went back down the stairs because I was up in my room, and I and I went to the chaplains, and there were, as I say, three of them. And I was thinking to myself, well, if it is what I think it is, it probably won't be a real pleasant experience, but at least now I'll know. It won't be, you know, from what I heard from others. I myself will know. But I didn't want it to be a total waste of time. So I asked the question, which one of the services is most parish-like? And they said, oh, that's the Air Force. That's how I joined the Air Force. Right? <laughs> and, um, and so it was kind of humorous. And as I say that, I guess I was a very self-righteous young man at that time. But um, I did go through the physical. The, pre, uh, the bishop did give me permission to do this during the summer months, two summers, um, to serve in the military. And I have to tell you, I came to find something very different about the military than I thought, you know, what very heroic people who are willing to put their lives on the line. Uh, it really did change my attitude um, 
about the military itself. So I served two summers as a seminarian, as a chaplain candidate, one at Dover Air Force Base in Delaware, one at Nellis Air Force Base in Las Vegas. Um, and after that point, I was back in the seminary, you know, preparing for diaconate and that. I did teach Christian sexuality on Sunday mornings over at Scott Air Force Base because they asked me to do that to the airmen. Um, and after that point, I was ordained. And I kind of thought that was the end of my military career, really. Um, I really planned on uh, resigning my commission, uh, but I never got around to doing it. <laughs> and, and I was ordained in 1989. 1990 is when we went to war. And right at that time, they had asked, um, they were looking for a Catholic priest for the 131st Wider Fighter Wing, which is Missouri Air National Guard there at Lambert Airport. And nobody seemed to want to do it. So they called me up and asked me if a priest did who was, was in the military, asked if I'd be willing to do it. I said, well, I will, and I am, but I haven't been in the parish for three years yet, and that was kind of the criteria. So, but I said, well, I asked the bishop anyway if he'd let me do it, and he said, oh, thank you very much for your generosity and your thoughtfulness. No. <laughs> so that's the, and, and, and I get it. I, I mean, I didn't really expect it. So I thought, well, I should resign, but um, I never got around to doing it. Resign your commission. Should resign my commission, yes, not the priesthood. Now, now <laughs> you point. you had, uh, you, you went at the, at the rank of what? What was your? A second lieutenant. You were a second lieutenant. Yeah. You are a commissioned yeah. officer. Uh, but uh, you put off resigning your commission. So, uh, and then the first Gulf War came along. Uh, they asked you to go, but your bishop wouldn't let you go. Did you ever go to the first Gulf War? Or? Well, what happened was, and I'll never forget, it was December 6th, 1989. I got a letter in the mail from the Archbishop of St. Louis saying, with this letter, I give my permission for you to join as chaplain of the Missouri Air National Guard, the 131st Fighter Wing, if your pastor is okay with it. And I thought, oh, my pastor doesn't know about this. And I'm not sure I really wanted to go at that moment when I'm hearing all this talk of war. But I thought, well, um, I'd ask him. I didn't tell him about the bishop's letter, and I'll never forget. I thought he was going to say no. He said yes. And so off I went. Now, the thing was, I became the chaplain, but I had to go through training that so the war came and went so quickly right. that I wasn't even trained up before um, before it ended. I see. So, so you were the parochial vicar at the church where you were. I when, was. That's Okay. And so the war came and went, and you didn't get a chance to go for the first Gulf War. But then what? Well, I just continued to serve in the parish, and also one week in a month, two weeks during the year as the National Guard goes, and I served there at Lambert um, Field, the 131st Fighter Wing. Uh, it was a great experience. The people were great. Um, but I guess it was um, in my second assignment. No, we were still. I, I guess when the second, when 9-11 hit, at that time, um, I had moved on from that first assignment to a, next, a second assignment. And now. Where was the first assignment, by the first way? first assignment was in the St. Louis area, St. Charles, Missouri, St. Cletus Parish. I see. And, and where was the second one? The second one was uh, in St. Louis County. It was St. Clair of Assisi Parish. Um, and I was a parochial vicar. And then the pastor died. I became the administrator for a while. And then we had another priest came in, and I was six and a half years ordained, and the bishop of St. Louis called me to come to the vocation office and to live at the seminary and work as an associate formation director with college seminarians. I was six years, six and a half years ordained, but I was also working with the guards still. So that's where I found myself when 9-11 hit. 
Um, I was in the vocation office for 14 years. So during that time period, suddenly the Gulf War hit, 9-11 hit, and um, 10 days later, I was on a plane to Prince Salt in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> oh, boy. And I thought, oh. Now, I never thought I'd be going to war, especially who, who would have thought 9-11 would have hit, right? But I'll never forget that was really quite the experience. I even remember going to Baltimore, waiting to get on that plane to be transported overseas. And someone happened to mention about a combat landing. Now, <laughs> uh, You know, I thought, oh, yeah, what's a combat landing? And they kind of <laughs> shared that with me. I thought, I had no idea what that was. I was so grateful they mentioned that because that's exactly what we did. It's kind of when not like a normal plane comes in where you open all your windows, you know, put up your shades and not your tray tables. Fasten your seatbelts. Fasten your seatbelts and all the lights all go on. No, just the opposite. They turn off the lights, you close the shades, and you come up right above where you're going to land, and then you corkscrew down into, in this case, the desert, because if you're going to be shot at, they want to make it not an easy target. And in the middle of the night, and I'm so grateful they told me that, otherwise, I really think I would. we were crashing. <laughs> so this was your first deployment? That was my first war deployment. First uh, yeah. war deployment, okay. Right. You'd been working uh, year in and year out with the Guard in, uh, in St. Louis. Did you ever right. go overseas uh, when you were doing that? I, I did. And in fact, before 9-11 hit, I would, you know, I would head over to like to Germany or to Denmark. We would have maneuvers and um, with military maneuvers and that, and they needed a priest, so they would ask me to go. But they were usually kind of like two weeks, a month stent. It, it wasn't, you know, just here and there. Um, but yes, I would be. You're listening to Catholic Military Life, a podcast of the Archdiocese for the Military Services USA. I'm your moderator, Taylor Henry, and today I'm talking with Monsignor Colonel Michael Butler of the Missouri Air National Guard and United States Air Force. Okay, so catch me up in 2001, right after 9-11. You do the corkscrew maneuver and land in Saudi Arabia. Welcome to Saudi Arabia. Welcome to the war. Amen. Uh, So what happened then? Well, what happened then is the whole world was new for all of us, right? And nobody knew exactly what was going to happen. I do remember that experience when we did land in the middle of the desert, with all the shades closed after doing this combat landing, um, probably it was about three o'clock in the morning. I mean, we couldn't lift up the shades, but I remember in the plane, there was a red light on all throughout this plane and that, that's all we could see. And all of a sudden I heard people putting their magazines in their weapons. <laughs> in other words, loading their weapons. And I'm thinking to myself, uh-oh, I didn't get that memo. Well, I don't carry a weapon anyway. But I also have to share it with you, Taylor. It was the, to this day, I would say it was the most frightened I have ever been in my entire life. I thought I was going to jump out of my skin, and I thought, oh. But here's where God's grace really works. Because in that minute, when I was frozen to my seat, and the lights were low, and nobody was really moving except the sounds of weapons being loaded, I thought, what's going to happen when they open that door? Is, is there going to be a firefight? Is it? I had no idea. I don't think anybody really had a clue. Um, but then all of a sudden, how God's grace works. What, what song filled my head in that was the song, Be Not Afraid. You know, you shall cross the barren desert, yeah. shall wander forth. St. Louis Jesuit song. Absolutely. And I thought, you know, and all of a sudden, this great peace came over me. And I realized, Lord, if this is your will and that's what happens, then let it be, you know. And, you know, and then I made it a good act of contrition. And then I thought, you know, I was okay. And I was really at peace. And I share that with you because in the end, we look back and, well, nothing really happened at that right. moment. But in the mind and not knowing what could 
happen and what might happen. So anyway, it was a different experience going from St. Louis and suddenly within 24 hours being over in a desert in a place I did not know. Um, so when you landed, uh, was there a firefight? It was not. <laughs> Only in our own minds and our own hearts. And um, I guess the biggest thing was I was introduced to camel spiders, which was a whole other kind of reality. Um, but that was an also an interesting reality too. But you know, just being with the military folks that are over there serving, once again, it's only 10 days after 9-11, nobody really had a clue as to what was really going on. I mean, I'm sure some people did, but I, I didn't. Right. And, and so how long were you in Saudi Arabia on that deployment? Actually only, looking back, it's probably about a month, month and a half. Mm -hmm. uh, not real long. I was called to go over there because they needed someone. And so I went and... Um, I see. And so share with me some experiences you had that month that you were in Saudi Arabia right after 9-11. Did you have a lot of interaction with Catholics who were deployed? Uh, did you oh. celebrate the Mass, hear confessions? Uh, any stories stand out? Absolutely. Um, I start getting all my deployments mixed up in the people I met in that. However, very faithful people. And in the fact that I do remember being over there and just being able to celebrate Mass, the people who came. At that time, I think lots of people had lots of questions. What is the world becoming? Where are we going? How is this all going to play out? I think in, in many ways, people, they didn't really want to think about the consequences of what could happen, and yet we had to. And so I think when people start facing maybe their own mortality, um, it kind of makes them reflect on their life and ask, well, where are they going? They're looking at the GPS, the God positioning system of their own life and asking, am I on the right track or do I need to make a U-turn as soon as possible? Uh, not everybody. We had wonderful discussions and, and beautiful people in that. But while I was over there, that Sunday came where um, I guess they were blitzing um, Baghdad. And, of course, that morning, I remember getting up. For whatever reason, the sirens went off the day before, uh, that night before. Um, Times Square was supposed to put on our, our gas mask and our, our, um, our suit, suiting up for chemical warfare. And, of course, somehow I didn't hear it. I guess I must have been really sleepy. So I woke up in the morning. It was a Sunday morning. And I saw people walking around all dressed like, you know, their chemical warfare. And I said, what's going on? So I remember I had to go back and put it on, but I was going over to have mass. I do remember that day the chapel was crowded. And there were a lot of, there's a great deal of brass there too, meaning I didn't know we had that many um, generals on base in that, but we did at the time. And um, nobody really spoke about it. But once again, it's funny how God in his word speaks to us because the scripture readings that day were all about not being afraid, and the trusting in him. And you know what, that brought me great comfort, but I think it brought the people themselves great comfort in being there. I remember that night when this whole um, mission and, and the bombing, and, and it took place. Uh, it was afternoon, I think, in the United States, but it was in the evening over in Saudi Arabia. I remember people coming to the chapel and people just gathering together, and we were praying. People got very emotional in that. Um, but it was beautiful that they, they turned to the Lord in that. And, and so it was just great at a time period when we didn't know what was going on. I don't want to make, say we were ignorant, we had a plan, and we were going forward, but nobody really kind of knew what the next circumstances were. Well, in that whole 
thing we know that it all kind of came and went actually pretty quickly, that whole thing. And, and we, we were concerned because we were probably the closest target um, if they retaliated. Not that we didn't have many weapons to protect ourselves, but, um, but once again, sure. it was more melodramatic in our own minds. At least I can only speak for myself, but um, it was beautiful to be with people in the midst of the joys, the sorrows, the fears, and all things in life because... Um, yeah, it brings people together. Yeah, I hear you. So uh, let me get this straight now. This is just after 9-11, and you're in Saudi Arabia, and th- there's concern that Iraq might attack the uh, U.S. installation there in Saudi Arabia at that time. That's true. Mm. There were so many thoughts in that going around what could happen. Right. And in the end, what actually did happen, it was like, you know, you prepare for all possible right. possibilities, and yet at the same time, um, what actually plays out could be something very different. But you don't know. you got to be prepared, right? Sure. Okay, so you talk about the awareness of one's mortality in the theater of war. Uh, did you find that experience more intense uh, among the practicing Catholics who were among those deployed than back home in St. Louis on our usual Sunday? Well, of course, mainly because we were closer to the action, as it were. If there was action taking place, yeah, we were there. And because St. Louis and Saudi Arabia are so very different, um, and you're in a different climate, a different environment, a different time zone, all of a sudden everything is very different, and it's like, well... It's going to be very, yeah, so it was intense. So you're talking to these uh, fellow um, servicemen, and uh, everyone's aware, uh, we're talking high stakes here, Uh, the United States has been attacked, uh, uh, we're going to war. Um, the, The awareness of mortality among the congregations at the Mass where you celebrated, how did that affect your uh, communication with them, knowing that they were, they had this heightened sense of their own mortality. Uh, or did you find they were more receptive? Was it easier to talk to them? Did you connect with them in a way that you don't usually connect with a civilian Catholic parish? It's a good question. Um, what I found that Sunday in particular was, number one, it was almost like Christmas, standing room only. Normally, they wouldn't have all those folks that came. Secondly, it seemed like nobody really talked about what was going on, but we were all keenly aware of things were happening. And um, and I found that people then began to pay really very close attention, I think, to Scripture. And uh, not, not that, I don't want to say we don't on Sundays and that, but sometimes we're distracted by many things. But I, I think they were looking for... Once again, this might be an overgeneralization, but looking for something to bring them, give them hope, give them confidence that, you know what, it's going to be okay. We do not need to be afraid. And, and that's, of course, the most repeated line in Scripture, be not afraid. Why? Because God is with us. And I think that was a great message to put out there. We don't really have to be afraid. Not then, not now, not ever, if God is with us. And we trust him and put him the number one in our life. What do we have to be afraid of, Right. Let's fast forward to the rest of your service in the military. Uh, by 9-11, you had, you'd been in the military already, what, 10 years, a little over 10 years? Yes. And, okay, so you were in the military for 20 years after that. 
uh, in the Missouri Air National Guard and, and then going back and forth on active duty with the United States Air Force. Uh, you know, summarize the next 20 years. Uh, well, where, where did you sure. go after that? Well, I have to say, number one, when I was a young priest, a younger priest, um, I had offered to go active duty to the bishop. Now, the bishops really hold the cards in their hands. They want you to go. They'll let you. If they don't, they won't. Um, they allowed me, the bishops of St. Louis allowed me to go to the, the National Guard. I thought it would be great to go active duty, but um, I asked a number of times, but they said no, not at that time. Um, I guess they liked what I was doing in the vocation office, which was good. But after 14 years in the vocation office in 2008, I asked the bishop at that time um, um, if I just thought it was maybe time for me to go back to parish work. And I guess he looked through my files and he said, well, I'm going to send you active duty. <laughs> and so it was in 2008. And I guess I wasn't expecting that because at the time I was 46 years old. And I thought, who goes active duty at 46? But okay, you know. So I did, and I was stationed down Lackland Air Force Base, which is the training base. It's a big base, and it was a wonderful experience. A lot of young people down there. Um, it was very exciting as they're coming in and hopes and dreams and that as they're transitioning from the civilian life to the military life. Uh, that was a great experience. But then right after that, um, because of, I'm going to say, um, confusion with the paperwork that apparently didn't quite go through in that of, but anyway, that's up there with a bit of a mystery. I wound up going back into the guard, working with um, working with a, a kind of what we sometimes called guard bumming, full time in the guard. And what they did is they would place me overseas to fill in for active duty priests that they just didn't have available. And so from that point onward, um, in 2010, um, so from 2008 to 2010, I was at Lackland Air Force Base. Then I went to Aldafra Air Base. Um, which is overseas in the United Arab Emirates. And then from there, um, I believe I went to Germany, the hospital over there, uh, Landstuhl. And from there, and I have to try to remember these things because, boy, it seems like so long ago, it all kind of blends together. Mm -hmm. From there, I went to um, Kyrgyzstan, I guess it was. Mm. I was there for some time. Um, and then I, um, somewhere along the line, I was, was back in, um, in Qatar, for a while, and then I went to England, Lake and Heath in England, and then the bishop, we had a new bishop that came in at that time, and he, uh, when I would go home to visit, whenever I was back in St. Louis, I'd go see the bishop, and he would ask me the question, so how much longer are you going to do this, any military stuff, and I said, well, that's really a question I should ask you, <laughs> and I said, because you hold the keys, and he said, oh, well, then I want you to come home, <laughs> any pastor, so... Um, in 2014, I was to come home, and, and of course I did, uh, but I did try to encourage him because they said, we do need priests in the military still. We're run, really, the numbers are growing low. And um, so he told me I should go back into the guard, <laughs> and so I did. And um, But I realized, you know, I, I really couldn't remain there because I couldn't have been the, um, the, the senior chaplain, and then the junior chaplain took over when I left, and then come back, that would be stepping on his toes. So... I applied for another position in the Guard, which was the African Command, and I was picked up for that. So um, so it it was three months every year, and I would be training over in Stuttgart, Germany, and my job really more than anything was to be the Air National Guard, Guard assistant to the command chaplain of AFRICOM. And, um, 
my primary job working with them was the state partnership program, was um, trying to line up um, chaplain corps and national guards from the different states in the union with different countries in Africa. Uh, now we do that all over the world um, with the guard and that, but uh, that was kind of my job and it was a wonderful experience and a unique experience. Had a chance to go into the continent of Africa a couple of times and, um, and to help put together conferences where the African chaplains and the guard chaplains would come together in Italy. Um, that, that was quite the experience too, so yeah. So. You have firsthand experience with the chaplain shortage. The yes. reason you were activated, deployed, was because there weren't enough chaplains to go around, right? That's true. So when you got to these locations, uh, could you tell that these Catholics had gone a long time without access to the sacraments, without being able to talk to a priest? Well, where I was, they oftentimes would put, they were active duty priests there. And we're talking about priests more than chaplains, just Catholic priests. There was a shortage and. Um, we could use more. Um, so if anybody out there is listening who's thinking about priesthood, think about chaplaincy, too, within the military. You can contact um, us at vocations at millarch.org. <laughs> Absolutely. It's a great life. Um, but, yeah, you know, so what I found that they would oftentimes put me where they could take an active duty chaplain and put him somewhere else. And so I would wind up filling in, as would many other guard chaplains. We would fill in the holes of where, where active duty priests may have been in the past where they couldn't. So did I notice the people were upset that they were without a priest? Well, no, because then they had one, right? Because there were certain spots and places they were big enough they could put priests. However, I have talked to people when they were coming in and out of field and that, that sometimes they didn't see a priest around at all. And they didn't have that luxury of having mass every Sunday or having the sacraments available. They may have them here and there now and then. Um, but um, not like what you're sometimes accustomed to in the states where, you know, you can have mass and choose which mass time you want to go to. And if you want to go to mass or go to that, par well, it's not like that at all. Um, it, it, I think when I was in Aldafra, I was one of six priests in the whole country. And so um, it makes you kind of realize, me realize what I've grown up in a very Catholic community, what I took so for granted. Catholicism was all over the place and um, opportunities to worship and to pray and uh, uh they were just there, and all of a sudden, when you're going to the Middle East and that, the Catholic Church isn't nearly as present. Um, but that doesn't mean those who were deployed weren't Catholics and still looking to um, be fed with the sacraments and with Christ and that. So, yeah. so look back over your uh, vocation. You've been a priest for, what, 40 years now or well, more? No, not quite that, just <laughs> 34 years. 34 right? years. Okay, though, looking back over 34 years, and a good bit of that time you've spent— uh, serving as a chaplain uh, in the military. Uh, was this a surprise for you? I mean, when you set out to become a priest, did you ever imagine that you would have this kind of vocation within a vocation? Absolutely not. In fact, I told you I didn't really, would never have dreamt about going into the military. But, you know, if we're open to God's will and he speaks through the bishops and he speaks through us in many ways, if we're willing to say, yes, your will be done. He'll take advantage of that. And, and you know what? It's great because it stretches us in places and makes us people that I don't know if I would have done these things on my own, certainly. Do you find your military experience has helped you in your pastoral work in the civilian world? I would like to think so. Um, 
But I guess you would have to ask my prisoners. Right. Well, well, sure, of course, they would never have been exposed to the non-military you. Uh, but uh, um, but can you think of any ways where you felt like you had uh, uh, sort of a, what, a handle on some uh, spiritual issues folks face day in and day out uh, as a result of the experience you had in the military? Oh, absolutely. Um, I would say that I was fortunate in the sense of being in the military and just being in different, number one, traveling around the world and seeing different people, different environments, different ways that people worship, different um, settings. That brought a wealth of understanding to myself of, of what it means to be a worldwide church, number one, and not just in this um, area of St. Louis, which is a wonderful church in St. Louis, you know, the Catholic church and community. But... Um, but because I was brought up in a Catholic community, being in places where there were very few Catholics around, that brought great insight. And the stories I was able to share when I went back to the civilian parish about what experience was like to have Christmas in um, on the flight line in a hangar with people that were standing around, just standing up, no chairs, that the altar became a toolbox we'd made into the altar. Then instead of incense, you could smell... Um, fuel, oil, and that from the planes. Um, you could, And yet, we were all there, and we missed our families, and it was the most powerful experience of celebrating Christmas in such a way. Um, I've been talking to Monsignor Colonel Michael Butler of the Missouri Air National Guard, United States Air Force. Thank you so much, Monsignor Butler, for talking to me today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Taylor.